welcome listeners to Season 3, Episode 7 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week we're diving into the Korean horror from 2016, The Wailing. We also wanted to let everyone know that September is International Podcast Month, and we're participating in the IPM 2020 feed. You can listen to our bonus episode on Jennifer's Body Ooh. on the International Podcast Month feed this September 31st. Now, on with the episode. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we made this drink to be bloody and full of mushrooms. Beer, beer, beer. I don't know why you all caps that one. Because <laughs> it's spooky and I don't like mushrooms. Yeah. This episode will contain discussion on racism, suicide, and harm to animals. If any of these things are something that you don't want to listen to today, feel free to skip this episode. So I made the drink today. And it's mushrooms? It's mushrooms. So the whole point of the movie is that it might be a disease based on a mushroom or some sort of magic. But mine is if it was just the mushrooms. So this drink is called Fungal Tonic. Nice. Yeah, it's uh, I got to use my um, sack to crush ice. Your little sack. My little sack to crush that ice. (laughs) Uh, So this is a very like um, you can hear. It's like snow. I don't know if that's going to pick up, but uh, it was very fun to use new equipment that we unlocked a while ago. Yeah. It even when you jingle it, it kind of sounds like Christmas. Yeah. Which is ironic. I'm just in a holiday mood, guys. It's not even (laughs) holiday time yet. Well, the ice was a last minute thing because the idea is that I wanted it to look kind of like the rash that's on the the people that get sick. So it's mushroomy and rashy. Yeah, it's mushroomy (laughs) and rashy. And they kept talking about this tonic that everyone was drinking that was making them sick. So it's supposed to be what that would look like. And the ice kind of looks like pustules if you look in the cup a little bit. I see it. Yeah. But also our entire description makes it sound like it looks and tastes awful. But it's actually very, very delicious. It's very fruity. Thank you. And there's something that I can't put my finger on. Do you want to know what it is? Can you reveal it without revealing too much of the drink? Or is Uh, it only for the patrons? I mean, there's a lot of... Well, okay, so hear me out. There's a lot of concepts to this drink. Mm Mm-hmm. And the the fungal, quote-unquote... I think works with one of the ingredients because I think that's how you make it, but I'm might be, I'm probably wrong. Um, oh, it's definitely kombucha. Well, is that what you're going to say? Well, way to reveal, <laughs> but, uh, the actual thing that you're probably noticing is that I put honey in it mm. and not just any honey. I mean, I did put real, I scooped out some honey. It was really hard to get it into the bottle. Uh, but I used Mad Lab's Honey Pomelo bitters Ooh. because we got all their bitters. And I'm so excited. I've been using them so much now. Nom, 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 nom. Yeah. Mad Lab Distilling, our season sponsor. Check them out. You can buy their shit online. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a very like fruity honey. The the honey was all supposed to be like just like pustule stuff. It was a, the <laughs> idea is supposed to be very gross. But it looks and tastes nice. So that's usually what cocktails are supposed to do is taste and look good. Yeah. But the horror, you know, we just got to add the mushrooms in. 
Exactly. So this week we watched The Wailing from 2016. It premiered on May 12th of that year. It's written and directed by Hong Jin Na, and it stars Dohwan Kwak as loving father and policeman Jong Gu, Jun Kunimura as the Japanese man, and Wu Hee Chun as the mysterious woman. This synopsis is, of course, written by Claudio Carvalho. If you want us, listener, to not keep using the amazing Claudio's synopses, you can just submit them. Submit them to our email, drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. But until then, we're just going to keep using Claudio because they're great. In the small village Goksung in South Korea, police officer Jong-gu investigates bizarre murders caused by a mysterious disease. His partner relays gossip that a Japanese stranger who lives in a secluded house in the mountains would be an evil spirit responsible for the illness. Jong-gu decides to visit the stranger along with his partner and a young priest who speaks Japanese. They find an altar with a goat head, pictures on the walls of the infected people that died, and an attacking guard dog that prevents their departure until the stranger arrives. Jong-gu finds one shoe of his beloved daughter, Hyojin, in the house of the stranger, and soon she becomes sick. His mother-in-law summons the shaman Il-gwang to save her granddaughter, while a mysterious woman tells Jong-gu that the stranger is responsible. Who might be the demon that is bringing sickness to Gok-sung? And then just to wrap it up here, jong goes to further and further lengths to protect his daughter, including a graphic dog murder scene, as well as accidentally running over the Japanese man with his truck and then hiding the body on purpose. In a final climactic moment where jong is being told two sides of the story, we aren't sure who to believe. The mysterious woman in white who may be the ghost causing such harm or the shaman who attempted to save Hyojin earlier. Jong-gu sides with the shaman and that is the ultimate mistake. Unfortunately, this causes the woman in white's protection spell to break and the demon takes hold of Hyojin, forcing her to kill her entire family. We get a final reveal that the Japanese man is indeed the devil and he has been working with the shaman all along. Uh, so this is the first episode we've done in a while where we haven't had a guest, but I'm so used to having a guest. I've been wearing headphones this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just family. It's just us. Yeah, it's. I'm just so used to having someone on Zoom. I know that has nothing to do with the synopsis you just did, which is very good, but I had to mention that. <laughs> I also want to apologize if I've butchered any of the names. I did my best. Hit me with that trailer audio. <laughs> That was a very Hollywood trailer. Yeah, which is to say not like the movie itself is very like it's big budget, like excellent film, but it just doesn't have the Hollywood vibes that this trailer is giving off. No, and it definitely this trailer sets expectations that you're going to go into like an action packed thrill ride. Yeah. When a lot of the times this movie is like very pacing and creepy. Slow burn dread, you know? Yeah, but this was distributed by Fox, right? 20th Century Fox? Yes. Yeah, so it makes sense that they would want to be like, oh, people don't want to see this weird Korean horror that's slow. They want to see an 
action-packed thriller. But that is kind of my favorite thing about this movie. But I'm getting ahead of myself because <laughs> I want you to go first with your thoughts. So I have a few thoughts. Uh, my first one is that watching this through again, I picked up a lot on the feeling of being in like a small town. Yeah. Like it sets a, even though it's like a different culture from mine and like I have no experience with like the the setup of their town and stuff like that it still gives off this vibe of like everybody knows everyone. All these like rumors are spreading and people are like believing shit that may or not may not be real. The gossip train is like oh, huge. Oh, it's so real because there's nothing else going on. So you got to just talk about your neighbors. I mean, zombies and, and murder in your town is pretty heavy. So you'd probably want to talk about that. <laughs> but like I, I imagine. No, I don't even have to imagine. I know for a fact that when non, you know, us people moved into our town when I lived in a small town. They were the talk of the town. Uh. And, you know, if shit went down, you would probably blame them on the new variable that you're questioning. Those gosh darn others. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So it was like they did a really good job of setting that sort of tone of like, it's extremely understandable why shit went off the rails. Sure, the Japanese man did turn out to be a demon, Oni devil, but, but you know, they that didn't know was, that for sure. And that was at the end. That, was at the, that was at the very end. <laughs> he could have just been a guy who wants to hang out with his dog and take pictures. Yeah. Just because you, know. you were right doesn't mean that you, <laughs> you, were, you, know, right. you were right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really liked that because he's, I mean, you know, cops, but he's like the small town cop. Uh, he knows everyone, but he's also like the dorky ass dad and he gets along <laughs> with all the neighbors and shit. Which you were saying, cause we saw the wailing when it first came out and that, that was right after we had watched or not right after, but around the time that we had watched train to Busan and both of them have like a dad figure in it. That's yeah. like kind of awkward. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why, but I'm particular to stories about dads stepping up their game. Oh, I wonder. Yeah, hmm. it's a big, it's a big interesting plot for me. It's because Kelly had a bad dad, guys. Yeah, this is actually segueing really nice into one of my other points, which, oh, well, which was just that I liked the dorky ass dad. The the thing that I liked about Train to Busan though is he had like a dad. Um, role model. <laughs> yeah, that he could emulate himself <laughs> off of. And this one, I feel like he should have had a role model because he goes <laughs> off the rails hard. Yeah. I don't know if it's in your points or not, but the it's interesting how it seems like the dad doesn't really have a support system outside of the family unit. Uh, he has a partner that he does his cop work with, but he kind of is like shat on by his coworkers a lot. Yeah. But then there's a point in the film where he's like, I'm going to kill the Japanese man because he's fucking with my daughter. And he like calls a bunch of his Friends and they all show up and they're like, yeah, let's do it. We're going to murder <laughs> a guy together. Yeah, I, th I, th I think I read a book about like a, a monster that was made and the entire town banded together. Like some no. sort of some sort of mob, men mental mob or something. And it was all because of the person was the other again. Yeah. This like theme of otherness. Oh, man. Exactly. Do you think there's queer symbolism in this? Because Frankenstein... That was what we were talking about, guys, is, uh, <laughs> is very heavy on the queer metaphor. Well, I mean, the Japanese man is the, the isn't the monster. It's Japanese man's monster. Oh, man, that didn't work. Never mind. <laughs> Just move on. What's your next uh, point? No, no, no. I was going to say, I think, uh, I mean, the element of like differentness and like the others and stuff is just an allegory for everything being different. So 
I could argue that it's probably like it it fits into being queer. Like you show up to a small town, no one else is queer, and then they blame all the stuff on you. Yeah. Especially and when it's fucking a disease. <laughs> that's totally your fault, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And they do lay on like the racism aspect of this like otherness is huge. Like they keep referring to the Japanese man as the Jap. And it just makes me think of like when people are slurring against like the Jew yeah. or whatever. It's like very heavily veiled as the other. Which is also another small town thing to like, yeah, be like just banding together to be racist against one person or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like going back to him going off the rails, like it's his only or his strongest relationship is with his daughter. And that's set up right at the beginning. So it makes sense that he would go to great lengths to save his daughter. Yeah. But there's that moment where he kills the Japanese man's dog. That's the point of no return. Like that's the irredeemable moment for him. Oh man. It's like the moment that you know that even if he saves his daughter, like he's done things that he'll never forget. And Uh, it's so sad. That scene It's not in my points, so I'm going to take this moment to talk about it. But like, fuck, he uses a pickaxe and he doesn't even finish the job. He, Yeah, I I kept like you just hear the dog like whimpering after it's done. And it's like an extended amount of just audio that you hear of this battle between the guy, the dad and the dog. And then the dog is left to like whimper. Yeah. And the Japanese man just watches him. As crows eat him, which in the moment you always think like, oh, man, it's so sad. This odd man out his best friend is dead or like when he's being chased down and he starts crying. It's like, oh, my God, he's so misunderstood. And these evil town folk are running at him out of town. But it's probably like he just wanted to watch the dog die because he was fucking evil. Yeah, because he's an Oni and he likes seeing things get hurt. Yeah. Also, they call him the ghost and then the the priest calls him the devil. But I imagine because he's from Japan that he is an Oni. Okay. Like I he, don't actually know. Like I, they're all kind of the same thing, basically, unless for like similar themes. Yeah. For Protestants, I don't know if there's like the devil or the idea of devils, like plural. Okay. But like the way that they were talking about ghosts in the movie, it seemed very much similar to like the idea of Oni in, in Japanese culture. I do know that they specifically took like Catholicism and me- melded it with other culture, history and religion. So mm. I'm not sure if that has an impact on the specific character choice here, but maybe. But even his design was very Japanese Oni. Like if you those of you who play the video game Neo, <laughs> there's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of creatures that look like that. But um, yeah, it it struck me more that he was like, a oni rather than like a ghost or a, a devil. But again, it might have all hmm. just been the same thing under different guiles. Do you have an, a last point for me? Yeah. So my last point is that I actually when we started watching this and you saw the timestamp and you're like, oh, man, two and two hours and 30 minutes. I got to strap in. Uh, and I made that comment because I had procrastinated recording this episode. <laughs> So I wanted to edit right after and I was like, oh, no, listen, the world's on fire and nobody can blame you. But the uh, I I saw a lot of reviews that were basically like this movie's too long. Like there's a lot of stuff they could have cut out. And I'm sure that's a good opinion. My opinion (laughs) is that different opinion. (laughs) My my opinion is when a movie can pull off the the longer hours I would almost rather have that, especially for a story like this, where you're sort of supposed to settle in and it's like ramping, but also 
building such a narrative of like living this life. Like you're supposed to feel in the moment with these characters. Mm -hmm. And I personally think they did a really good job of like giving all the scenes of how these characters are feeling and how they're interacting so that you feel like you're part of it. Uh, One of the big scenes that people wanted to cut out was the quote unquote zombie scene where Uh, all the guys are banding together and killing the the light. What was his name? Park. Yeah. Yeah. The guy who got struck by lightning. Very unlucky. But that was so cool. It was. And I also thought it set a really good tone of like these people don't really know what they're doing. And what they're dealing with. Yeah. Like they all came to kill this old man. But the moment that like something else attacks them, they were so unprepared. They were incompetent. Yeah. And then after they see the old man, they're like, go get him. And they become like these bloodhounds running through the woods. And I thought that was a really good scene for setting like the relationship of these characters and like showing their incompetence. And I didn't feel like the movie was too long. No, which I might just slide in here to one of my points, Ooh, which is the pacing in this film is fucking fantastic. <laughs> Ooh, And that's literally it. Like you're taking the words right out of my mouth. It was over two and a half hours long, but it really didn't feel like that because of the mystery that they had. You were constantly dealing with the next part of what was going on, like solving the case and the next element of dread that was happening as things kept escalating. And I feel like for me watching this a second time, it had been enough time since we had first seen it that I forgot the ending <laughs> Yeah, completely. And it's so good at keeping you like flipping back and forth between who's the bad guy. Like I'm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. There was a movie that, I watched on the plane once when we were flying to Montreal or something. Uh, I had to look it up. I almost called it Ari Aster, uh, but it's uh, Ad Astra. Um, Do you know what Ari Aster is? Yes. Okay. It's the director of such films as Midsommar. You know what's fucking funny? What? I didn't include it in the scaredy facts, but this is Ari Aster's favorite film of 2016. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, then it's all I'm keeping all this in. So. So I watched Ad Astra on the plane and then I talked to people about it afterwards and they were like, fuck, that movie was so long. They could have cut so many scenes, but it does the same thing where like they introduce you to this world that you've never seen before. And they do such a good job of like making it seem humdrum, 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 humdrum of like they don't just show the action and the interesting parts of the world. They show you the boring like logistics of signing in so you can take a a shuttle to Mars or something like that. And for me, I guess it was because I was on a plane. So it was very, very thematic. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's the parts that I really liked. So having those parts as like pacing in this movie, I feel like really added a lot. Yeah. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. I'm starting us off with a personal plug. Woo! I'm starting a new podcast this October called Tabletop Titties, where myself and four other women will be playing Dungeons and Dragons. It'll be my first time DMing, which is sure to be an adventure. Of course, it's still queer, still feminist. Tabletop Titties will be run entirely by people of marginalized genders. You can follow us at Tabletop Titties on all social medias to get all the info. Kelly will also be helping us out with some sound and video engineering. I'm running the tech. Woo! I'm behind the scenes. Pew, pew, pew. Pew. Also, you should note that titties is spelled with two Ds. Yes. Because it's double Ds. So tabletop titties. Wink. Wink. We're currently having an Indiegogo right now to raise funds for the first season. Boilers. 
It's Battle Royale slash Hunger Games themed. Nobody knows yet. You're the only ones that know. Wow, this is the only place that you've dropped that. (laughs) And if you have any funds to spare, I would love it if you could donate. I think some of you already have, which is amazing. The link is in the show notes. And uh, for those of you listening, it's bit.ly slash capital T-T-I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O. That's capital T-T-I. And then lowercase, Indiegogo. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not a patron yet, what are you doing? You're missing out on all our bonus episode. Patreon polls that decide what we should watch next. And even cocktail recipe cards. You'll know what the rest of the liquor in this drink is that we made today. Whoa. Char and I have made a hello watch list for you to follow along with on there with movie recommendations from each of us for the entire month of October. Get in on the action at patreon.com slash drink and scream. This season of Drinking and Screaming is sponsored by Evil Amy's Terror Shop, who provided us with some amazing goodies to talk about on our episodes. Now that it's officially fall for sure in my book, I'm ready for Halloween, which means that my Michael Myers enamel pin is out and ready to play. Thanks, Evil Amy. You can buy their products. They ship globally at EvilAmy'sTerrorShop.com. We're also sponsored by Mad Lab Distilling, who provided us with the liquor used in today's cocktail. Scott and Mad Labs are just the dang diddly best. Char wrote that. And we think it'd be great if you could buy their products. They're available online at MadLabDistilling.com. I mean, you can write your own ads if you want. They're just so gosh dang diddly dang great. I mean, you say that all the time. (laughs) You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. You can email us at drinking screaming at gmail.com and you can join our discord at bit.ly slash hopped up discord. It's season three. It's time for a new sponsor. Do you smell that? The thick fog in the air, suffocating and muddied. Do you hear that? The creaking boards of the boathouse, the wet crackling of pine needles beneath your cold feet. Do you see that? The dim, pulsating glow of the gas lamp, hanging up, just out of reach. What sort of lakeside terror is this? Well, it's a candle. A candle for horror fans. A candle from Liz's Horrifying Candle Co. Shop now on HorrorCandles.com with the code DRINKSCREAM10 for 10% off your first purchase of three or more candles. So this is a brand new sponsor that we got, and I found them on Instagram, fell in love, reached out, and they wanted to sponsor with us. And my favorite part is that these bad boys are handmade with soy wax, which makes them safe for your little fur babies. I feel like it's not well known that you shouldn't use petroleum candles if you have animals, because it's basically like smoking packs of cigarettes in their face. So we're really keen on what candles are made of because we do love candles. So these are going to be safe for Buddy. They're going to be Buddy approved. Wink. We're getting a shipment soon and we'll give you our honest thoughts on them as soon as we can. But for now, get 10% off, bro. Drink Scream 10. At HorrorCandles.com. Back to the episode. She wails. I also think that my favorite part in this film or element of this film was the acting. The actors themselves, everyone was so skilled up to the little girl. She was so believable. You never, ever doubted her on screen. And as you said earlier, Kelly, the relationship between 
her and her dad was so strong. You know, me, I had a great dad. (laughs) (laughs) Not to rub it in, but um, no, like I really had a great dad. And I mean, had I still he's alive. Hi, dad. You listen to the show. (laughs) But uh, the relationship of her being like a daddy's girl and then seeing it deteriorate as she gets sicker is so sad and heart wrenching. And you see it in him as the father. Like, how do I save my child? And that that struggle is so real and so apparent. And they didn't hold anything back, mm-hmm. which was, I thought, really great. And yeah. I wanted to specifically point out there was a moment where I was like, I have to make a point about acting being so great in this film was when we get to the man that was first the man that first succumbed to the illness, the start of the movie, the, the mystery when he's in the hospital and he is like dying and he has the like oxygen mask on his face and like blood is pouring out of it. That moment of intense panic in the hospital scene. And then it goes straight into Hyojin convulsing on her floor in her bedroom and her dad coming into the room and like holding her and realizing what's happening. Fuck. It was just, (laughs) that's where the movie like really kicked off. It was so good. And the dread just, permeates there and it just got worse and worse in such a good way. Yeah. There was a moment that I really noticed, which was uh, after they chased the Japanese man off the cliff mm-hmm. and he like thinks that he can't find uh, the man. So he's like now struck with the fact that he can't help his daughter and like him falling on the ground and like crying and the way he was crying wasn't like Hollywood crying where no it's like way. it was like a man on the brink and he was like squealing and it was so sad and his friends was like holding him and he's like, come on, man, don't cry. Don't cry. It was so visceral. It was so and like you never especially men in movies, they never let them have that much emotion and that like vulnerable of a moment and like seeing him just rolling on the ground crying like that was so heartbreaking and so real. Yeah. Um, yeah. The acting was incredible. I agree. So good. And then my last point is kind of a throwaway point, but really it's not because the devil reveal at the end is so creepy and it just goes, it's the payoff of finally figuring out as an audience member who the, not the killer was, but like who the, the, problem giver this like (laughs) demon was was it the woman in white or was it the japanese man we don't know and the reveal the whole scene in the cave of the priest and the japanese man who's like sitting huddled with this like woolen brown blanket looking so creepy but still i feel like i was convinced that it was the the white woman in white Not the Japanese man. That was the bad ghost. She also looked kind of creepy when she grabbed his hand because it was like pale and Mm -hmm. and deathly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, every moment of that scene, you're like, who is who done it? But then it just like starts to slowly appear every shot because we cut between the two moments a lot, very frequently. And every time that it cuts back, there are subtle changes like his hands got like hairier and like thicker fingers and then we like see the face and now there's like these tiny horns appearing uh the eyes were strikingly different and then until it's the ultimate creature that we see at the end which was and it was very believable it wasn't like this huge reveal that was so out of this world it was very like believable like it could have happened to me i could see that and think that it was I don't know where I'm going that makes, with this that makes it more worse that it was r- r- believable it was so yeah like it wasn't this like on otherworldly monster 
it was humanity's twisted evil side it seems. i mean that's my favorite thing about oni design is that a lot of them are just like things that people were scared of so they made a creature for it like the old woman that follows you on the road at night and she keeps asking you to turn around and look at her and if you look at her she kills you yeah <laughs> creepy don't like that don't like that at all <laughs> I don't know. This isn't Japanese, but it reminds me of the sticky horse. What? It's the horse that uh, stands on like the edge of water. And then when you go oh, to yes, when yes, yes. you go to bed, it, it's you stick to it and then it walks into the water. Yes. I listen. I can't remember the creature name, but a podcast recommendation for you guys. If you don't listen to it already, Spirits. They do Greek and Roman mythology and uh, they also do a cocktail with each creature. Ooh. Did and they do the sticky horse? They did. It's I think it's their I think it's a Kelpie. Is that right? I like Shit. I like Sticky Horse. Fuck. Damn it. I can't remember. But it's like their first episode. And when I was starting to think of what I wanted to do for Drinking and Screaming, I found that podcast and I was like, I want to emulate this. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And it's taken us this long to talk about Sticky Horse. <laughs> it's time to open the Reconomicon. I don't I add like lightning there, but page. I could add lightning. I want like page flutters. Can you do that? Uh, like, sure. Sh- 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 I'll make it. I'll get it. I'll, it'll get more and more complicated each time to the yes. point that it's like a one minute long, like reverberation with That's like sound what I effects. Want. Thank you. My recommendation is the witch. Oh, the Vavitch. Mm-hmm. I love the Vavitch <laughs> from 2015. <laughs> it's another family dealing with the devil plus another shared element that I don't want to spoil. So. Uh, just watch it. It's very creepy, very slow burn, dready. I'm not actually a huge fan of the Vivitch. I wasn't when we first watched it, but I think my tastes have changed. Mmm, tasty. Yeah. Uh, mine is like a low ball, but uh, I read a lot of reviews about people talking about if you're Christian and this, and you watch this movie, it'll be terrifying. So I don't know why, but I got it in my head to watch uh The Exorcist, just the original Exorcist. Sure. It's the idea of like fighting this monster with faith. I mean, there are very, very similar elements and we haven't even covered the exorcist on this show yet. We got to do that. Yeah. I also don't know if we're allowed to like recommend movies that we are going to or have already watched. I mean, that's fine. All right. You're allowed to Reconomicon. You can do whatever you want, man. I've recommended things I haven't even seen. (laughs) Are you ready for scaredy facts? So scaredy facts is the section of our podcast where we invite you into our relationship. After we watch a horror movie, we cuddle up in bed all scared and spooked, and we look up trivia facts to make it turn into a movie and not actually scary, because it's not scary when you find out that the actor tripped in a scene. And now we invited you here so that you can also be unscared. Welcome. I did the scaredy facts this week, so Kelly has no idea what is on this page. I got no clue. Starting with the budget, it was an estimated 6.4, wait, yeah, $6.4 million. I was like, billion? Oh, my Ooh. God. <laughs> uh, but they, it was very, very successful. Not successful in the States so much, but the worldwide cumulative gross is $49.9 million. Wow. That's good. So I'm very proud of them. Yes. Good job, the whaling team. Good job, the whaling. You whaled into success. <laughs> Oh, I did include the Ari Aster yeah, one. I just saw it at the Dang top it. of the list. But I think I actually misquoted myself. So for real, Ari Aster's favorite horror movie of the last 10 years as of 2019. 
is Ooh. The Wailing. So it's even better than what I said. I said it was his favorite movie of this year, of 2016, but no, of the last 10 years. Ooh. Something that I think is amazing and a testament to the acting once again, for his shaman ceremony scene, the actor Jungmin Huang filmed for 15 minutes straight without a break. It was all a one long take scene that they filmed with multiple cameras and they just cut uh, and interspersed it. Wow. We never really talked about that. Do you think that he actually was doing anything or was he just covering up the fact that the Oni was casting spells in the background? Uh, I mean, he probably was helping him. Yeah. I don't think he was doing anything good. No, but I think he was. I mean, he got that money. Yeah. But I think he was just faking it so that they didn't go look at the Japanese man who was actually trying to kill the daughter. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was a tough moment. <laughs> and they like. There was so much animal death, more animal death in that scene. Just a lot of animal death. I did not appreciate it. <laughs> Another, we talked a bit about, you mentioned this, Kelly, about how this is very like Catholicism, religion thrown in here with like your exorcist recommendation. Uh, the stone throwing by the white woman scene alludes to an allusion to an, wait, what? Alludes to an illusion. That's what it says. That's bad. <laughs> bad IMDb. The stone throwing of the white woman scene alludes to fuck. How do I re alludes to an allusion to an utterance? It's just all it's layers. It's such a it's bad like an sentence. Onion. Whatever. It's it's alluding to Jesus. OK, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. And so she there's a moment where she's like throwing rocks at the cops, which I was going to make a joke earlier when you were like, oh, man, fuck the police. I was like, yeah, throw rocks at him. Bitch. <laughs> uh, but interestingly, this film does mention either directly or indirectly all of the biblical sins. Nice. So that was like one particular moment. Oh, that man, I was cool. the dad eats a lot. Is that the gluttony? <laughs> well, I think more so it's when uh, Hyoshin is like literally stuffing her face. Oh, yeah. That makes, the, that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there aren't that many scaredy facts for you guys. I'm sorry, but I have a, a few more here. Uh, Jun Kunimura's camera at the end of the film is a Minolta Hymatic S which was released in 1978. And that is my car slash gun fact for the episode, everybody. <laughs> I mean, a camera's like a gun. It, it shoots. And you got to cock it. Yeah. Uh, and in some horror games, it's literally used as a weapon. Yeah. So Something that I thought was really cool was that the white woman collects upper body belongings from villagers to protect them, like the daughter's barrette, which was like supposed to be the final sign that she was the bad guy all along. But no, it's to protect them. And the Japanese man collects lower belongings like shoes to curse them. Ooh, I thought that was cool. I did not realize that watching, but now reading this fact, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was belongings that mm -hmm. they collected. Kwon Hee Kim, who played Hyo Jin, uh, the daughter, practiced. Oh, yeah, this is really cool. She practiced modern dance for six months to be able to perform her possessed by the devil scenes. Nice. And she did them all herself. And she really learned like modern art dance. That's my favorite thing about like possession movies is most of the people doing the like really weird uh, movements are dancers. Yeah. So cool. Like all the nurses in Silent Hill were actual dancers. Yeah. I love that. And then my last fact is a deleted scene, which I thought was very cool. In a deleted scene happening right after the conclusion of the story, the ending that we saw, the Japanese man is seen sitting on a bench by the roadside. He spots a family on the other side of the road and invites a child to him by offering her candies. 
but the mom picks up the kid before she manages to reach the stranger. A car driven by Il Guang arrives and picks up the Japanese man before leaving. In the center of the road, we see the woman in white who witnesses the car fading away into the horizon. Ooh. So it's very like just him tempting everybody however he can. Wait, so is the whole thing that the shaman found this demon and the two of them are just roaming the countryside like scamming people out of their hard-earned money? Yep. That's dope. That's, yep. That's a good hustle. You got to respect it. <laughs> <laughs> got to respect the hustle in 2016. Yeah. And that's it. That's my last scaredy fact. It was very good scaredy facts. Thanks. Do you have a final thought for me? Uh, yeah, I think when we first watched this, I went in thinking that it was going to be like a zombie movie because all of the like advertisement we found seemed very much like, oh, it's a spooky Asian horror movie with zombies, which like coming off the tail end of Train to Busan, it was like what we expected. But I was like so impressed with this movie and like so glad that it wasn't a zombie movie going in that like, I don't know, I want I want more of just like low key dread horror. Yeah, for me. It's I'm really glad that we got to watch this again for the podcast. I feel like I didn't appreciate it as much the first time watching it. It was cool and it just wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't what I thought we were going to be watching when I sat down to see it for the first time. And I think I've definitely it's definitely grown on me the second time around. And now it's something that I would definitely recommend to Anybody that wants uh, a cool Korean horror film. And yeah, there's fuck. The acting was so good. The story was great. Loved it. Gets real brutal, too. Yeah. <laughs> Except for the animals. Man. Ugh. I mean, that is very brutal. And I could have gone without the animal death. Point of no return. Also, he died. So it's not like he had to return from anything. Well, that's been The Wailing, a movie about a Japanese photographer who gets run out of town by those fucking cops. Next week, we'll be watching Tales from the Hood from 1995 with the fabulous Ify Wataway. Yay! Woo! And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah!